Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Morning again. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You may be listening listening to us on the Faith Radio app. You may be listening online at myfaithradio.com, streaming around the world. You may be listening on one of a growing number of actual radio broadcast signals. Um, if so, you're doing it the old-fashioned way, and I kind of love that. So thank you so much. What are we doing here? We are bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day, the things that matter to everyone and the things that matter to almost no one but God. Um, We try to do it all. I frequently ask, where in the Word are you today? Because I contend that we as the people of God need to be in the Word of God before we get out there into the world that God so loves, or we won't be able to uh, navigate the realities of life in ways that honor Jesus, which is what we're supposed to be doing as Christians, right? Making a visible, substantial Um, a tangible witness to him for who he is. Um, Why? Well, because that's why he came, to make the Father known. So you and I are out there making uh, the Father known um, by operating as Christians, little Christ in the world, empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit, because life's going to squeeze us and what we're full of is going to come out. So what are you full of? I want you to be full of grace and truth full of the spirit of the living God, all those good things. That's what we're up to today. Um, We turn to the news headlines uh, frequently and and seek to uh, surprise and delight um, sometimes, right? So what are people out there going to be talking about today? Well, we're we're talking about a range of headlines, many of which you heard at the top of the hour. If you missed the headlines related to um, the Senate's confirmation of Ketanji Brown-Jackson to the Supreme Court, or headlines related to Ukraine. We covered those at the top of the first hour, which you can go back and listen to uh, later on the Faith Radio app or at MyFaithRadio.com. Um, so the headlines I have in front of me right now are from the sports page. So over at the sports page, March Madness, those headlines are done. They've been replaced by news about golf, baseball, and the NBA. So while the NBA is finishing up its regular season uh, this weekend, the playoffs are going to begin a week from tomorrow. Baseball and golf, yep, just getting into full swing. Oh, yeah, I wrote that down, and I wanted to say it out loud. Baseball and golf, just getting into full swing. So uh, there was a labor lockout. The NBA held its opening day a week late. That was yesterday. In golf, Tiger Woods returned to play at the Masters in Augusta. Um, and it's it's just beautiful to watch because, frankly, it's just beautiful this time of year in Augusta, Georgia. Um and let's see, um, all of this is evidence. All the, the, the fact that there are sports headlines and that people are playing golf in Augusta and eating pimento cheese sandwiches, all of this is evidence that life goes on. In the midst of all the harrowing and horrific headlines and the challenges that you and I are going to face in the hours and the days ahead, in the midst of great travail, As people are cleaning up from tornadoes, life goes on. 
People died yesterday. We recognize that. People were also born. People received terrible news yesterday, and they will do so today. Many others will hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and they will believe. In the midst of great travail, life goes on. So, you know, as the world turns, I mean, and not not just sort of when we think about day to day, but as the world turns on its course in the rhythm of the other spheres, like as the world turns, life goes on. And um, when you consider how you're going to pay attention to the things that matter in these days, um, I want you to consider that God holds you in the very palm of his hand. How are you going to be assured of that? Well, the Bible tells us so. And so if you've not done so already, please join us in reading through the Bible during this Holy Week. You can sign up at MyFaithRadio.com. There's going to be a, um, a podcast every single day. But there's a downloadable study guide. Um, There's a prayer guide. We want you to join us in reading through the Bible during this Holy Week. And you sign up at MyFaithRadio.com. All right, we're going to turn to some media news here in just a moment with Adam Holtz. Here's two media headlines. Ed Sheeran won a copyright lawsuit against his song, Shape of You. Um, And Pink Floyd is going to release its first new music in 28 years in support of Ukraine. So this legendary rock band is set up to drop its first new music since 1994, and that's going to happen today. Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In, up next. Joining us now, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm fantastic. We've already had a listener asking if we're going to talk about Father Stu. So in a minute, yes, we're going to talk about Father Stu, but we're leading off with reviews. Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is uh, a lot like Sonic the Hedgehog 1, which came out Super fast. Ago. Super fast. He's a little small, blue, electrified, hyper-powerful Hedgehog, of course, he's based on a Sega video game. Uh, Video game translations to film tend to be, well, almost uniformly terrible. And uh, this is one of the best ones. So uh, (laughs) there's a little bit of language and really, and, you know, some cartoony almost violence. But uh, Sonic squares off against Jim uh, Jim Carrey's evil um, Dr. Robotnik again. And... uh, you know, hijinks ensue. That, what what else can I say? It's a nice movie. It has some great things to say about family and about friendship and about taking responsibility. So if you liked the first one two years ago, and I did, surprisingly, I liked it a lot more than I was expecting. Uh, I think you'll like this one too. And not too many uh, speed bumps, as long as we're doing puns this morning. That's so good. All right. So um, uh, in another genre, tell us about yes. Ambulance. Uh, Ambulance is Jake Gyllenhaal playing a lifelong bank robber, and he is about to try to pull off a $32 million heist. 
and his adoptive brother, he didn't adopt him. He's a Jake Gyllenhaal, obviously, is white. Uh, he has a brother who is black, who his family took in when they were when he was very young. Um, is fresh out of the army. His wife needs surgery. It's an experimental surgery. Nobody will cover the cost. He needs $230,000. And so he's trying to do the right thing, but he gets sucked into this heist. And, it, of course, it goes wrong, and they end up hijacking an ambulance that has an EMT who is trying to save the life of a police officer who has been shot. And basically they drive at high speed for two hours uh, with explosions happening everywhere. A lot of gunfire, uh, a surprisingly low body count for how much gunfire there is, although a lot of people still get killed. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a Michael Bay movie. You know, he's done The Rock and Armageddon, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, a ton of profanities. I mean, this is a this is an R-rated movie, uh, a lot of language. Um, watching the trailer, my thought was, how on earth can you sustain this story for two hours? But they pull right. it off. It's actually pretty <laughs> engaging. But again, rated R, ton of language. So don't read my saying it's engaging as an endorsement for this movie. Yeah. All right. Um, so let's see. Where should we turn next? Well, since there's a lot of people in the audience looking forward to Father Stu, what do you know about Yes. Well, Father Stu comes out next week, and Mark Wahlberg stars in this movie. Mark Wahlberg is a, a pretty devout Catholic. Um, he talks a lot about his faith, um, and he wanted to make this true story about a guy who uh, is a boxer. He's pretty rough and tumble. Um, he meets a woman who's Catholic, whom he falls in love with, and she says, you can't be with me unless you're Catholic, so... He sort of has a, a fake conversion, if you will, has a motorcycle accident, has a debilitating disease, and eventually becomes a priest. And based on a true story, um, I here's my secret confession. I really like Mark Wahlberg against my will. I don't want to like him. He and I are the same age. He looks so much better than I do that it just feels unfair. Um, here's the other thing I will say, and this is what people will need to, to grapple with. Um, Paul AC, my compatriot at Plugged In, has seen this movie. He said he loved it. It has a ton of language. And mm. Mark Wahlberg has a penchant for making movies with a ton of language. And there are going to be those people out there who say, you know what, it doesn't bother me. It's in context. I can deal with it. And there are going to be other people who say, you know what, I love that it's a redemptive story. I don't want to be exposed to a bunch of F words and S words. And, um, and I think both of those are really legitimate responses here. So know that this is a faith-based movie that Mark Wahlberg made himself, produced himself, paid for because Hollywood wouldn't make it. Mel Gibson is in it. Um, it has a lot of language. So that's going to be a deal killer for some people. Mark Wahlberg paid for it because Hollywood wouldn't. I think that's significant. Um, people have yeah. taken note of the fact that Mel Gibson is in it, and they are appreciating of that. And again, though, it does come with this, um, you know, bit of a trigger warning for Christians. It does have a lot of 
language, which means that in order to tell the redemptive story of a person really redeemed from a life that was really not in Christ, there's real language represented in it, Um, language that you are not going to appreciate as a Christian, but it is a part of the story that gets us, um, you know, gets us to the place, uh, you know, of the radical work of... um, of Christ in the life of a person. So, and, and Carmen, there you can go. I just say one other thing about yeah. this? I think it's an interesting philosophical discussion, and I think you can argue it both ways. I'm not going to take a stand. As Christians, should we be making gritty movies that really don't pull the punches on some of those sin issues, uh, including language? Um, or is it our responsibility, because we're Christians, to figure out a creative way to tell the story without those elements? And I think that you can have really sincere people and sincere believers on both sides answer that question in both ways. Uh, but I think it is it is an interesting conversation. Years ago, we interviewed Dean Batali, who was a producer on that 70s show, which was a horrible show. He said he felt like God called him to be there to make it less bad than it would have been otherwise. Really interesting question. Is it a legitimate calling for a Christian in Hollywood to exercise redemptive influence by making something less bad, or should they just stay away from it completely? So this is the kind of movie that raises that question. So many good um, good questions in there, um, and we should circle back around to that because the ethics of all of it, I think, uh, influences conversations in other parts <clears throat> of our life as well. We're talking with yep. Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In, and we'll be right back. He will renew your to wait on all right, we're talking with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. Adam, here's a headline. A Seattle museum is planning a drag-tastic summer camp experience for kids to teach them the art of drag. I mean, of all the things we could be doing in summer camp at a museum, do we need to be doing this? Well, no. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to answer your rhetorical question really bluntly. Um I think it's just further evidence of the confusion of our culture with regard to the purpose and place of sexuality. And I think there are two questions that we have to ask about sex. And because of what I do at Plugged In, I think about sex from a theological perspective a lot. And those questions are, what is the purpose of sex and who gets to decide? And God says the purpose of sex is to really display um, the image of God, male and female, he created them, and that the result of that union in a covenant relationship is new life. And that too really displays God's, uh, God's image. That's his design. He says there's a place for it and a purpose for it. He gets to decide. Our culture says that the purpose of sexuality is pleasure and self-actualization. And virtually the only ethic left in our culture is consent. And as long as there's consent, there's no further discussion about the purpose and place of sexuality. And in our culture, the sovereign individual is the only one who gets to make that decision. And so I think if we can frame the discussion that way, 
it enables us to have a conversation about um, about this explosive issue and an important one. Um, and so this thing that's happening in Seattle is born of a culture that says that sexuality is absolutely the fundamental ingredient in self-actualization and identity. Whereas scripture says sex is important. It reflects God's image. It's not nothing. It's not a cough or a sneeze, like some people say, but it's not everything either. It's not intended to carry the weight of our entire identity, which is what our culture says. And so as Christians, I think we really offer a gospel when it comes to sexuality. It says we can think clearly about this, whereas in Seattle, you've got kids being further brainwashed, just as we're seeing in so many other places, you know, Disney is fully on board with this. Um, and as parents, we have to be teaching not simply that premarital sex is bad. Like if that's the end of our conversation with our kids, um, the culture is going to win. But we have to have a robust conversation theologically about why God designed sex, what its purpose is, its goodness and beauty and how that gets tarnished outside of the context that God designed it for. I think a part of this conversation, um, Adam, is, uh, is uh, you know, also the reality that, you know, kids play dress up. And sure, um, absolutely. Sometimes, right. And sometimes <clears throat> in a play or a production, you are cast in a role that is, um, you know, not conforming to your gender because they need more. Um, you know, more male, male characters than there are, um, you know, boys who wanted to be in, you know, in the drama production of, um, you know, what's the kind of classic production with the newspaper and the kids. And yeah, I can't remember the name of it. Yeah. But anyway, that requires like a lot of boy actors. And there aren't, you know, right. and if there aren't enough in a, in a school production, then the girls dress up as boys and play those roles. That's not what we're talking about here. Um, when we're nope. looking at what this museum is doing, this is a um, they're, you know, they're going to choose their own names. They're going to explore hair and makeup techniques, and they're going to develop um, their stage presence as, uh, you know, as they discover their drag persona. Um, and so, I do think that this goes beyond. I mean, for those of you who are listening and are like, you know, this doesn't, you know, maybe not such a bad thing. Um, this, you know, this effort to send your kid to camp for a week. Um, you know, where they are going to not only learn the history of drag, but how to perform in drag as a drag yeah. persona. Like that's different than um, girls needing to dress up as male characters in order to put on a production. Yeah, no, that's it's absolutely different. And I didn't talk much about it because to me, if we have our theological lenses on straight, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> um, it's self-evident how problematic this is on so many levels that when we're actively encouraging kids to experiment with trying on another gender and another identity as something that's fun and frivolous, that's really dangerous territory. And um, yes, it's, it is fundamentally different than, you know, perhaps portraying the other gender on stage. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, Adam, we got to leave it right there. Um, so much more we could talk about. I uh, really appreciate what you're doing. You guys need to check out what's posted at PluggedIn.com. On the blog, don't miss this. What is TikTok brain um, and, and how are you going to like deal with it? So at, at the Plugged In blog, um, why should you care about what TikTok is and what's happening to your brain if you're watching it? Well, because millions of people are. That's why. All right. Um, as always, Adam, thank you so much. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Next up, John Stone Street with Breakpoint. This is amazing this is All right, just here for a moment, um, and I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Um, just for a moment, I'd love for us to pause and consider all that we have. Like all that you have to your name. When you think about all that you have to your name, what's on that list? What's all that you have to your name? And then what's all that you have access to in the name of Jesus? Is all that you have in Christ on your list of all that you have? Is all that you have in the name of Jesus on, does it make the list of all that you have to your name? I mean, your asset list may be long or it may be very short. You may be in debt here on earth. Um, you may owe, own more or less than you owe or owe more than less than you own. But I want you to consider just for a moment how much you have in the name of Jesus. Those who have taken the name of Jesus, those who follow Christ, giving to him the life we now live in the flesh as agents of his grace and ambassadors of his kingdom, um, those whose names are found in the Lamb's book of life, we have access to assets that far exceed the value of all the silver and gold and crypto earth can boast. If you're, if you're looking for a list of your assets, I want you to reread Ephesians chapter 1 today. If you wonder all that you have in the name of Jesus and all you have access to in the name of Jesus, it's everything that is in Jesus' name. Everything in Jesus' name is an asset available to you. Ephesians chapter 1 is good reading for today. If you haven't found anything in the good word to read today, read Ephesians chapter 1. Believers have a rich inheritance in heaven, but we also have great wealth right now as we live in relationship with God. We have God. We have God. And he has set us as stewards and managers over many parts of his economy. And so we're going to talk about the economic evidence for God next with Chuck Bentley from Crown Ministries. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is the Faith Radio Network. We're privileged to be talking today with Chuck Bentley. He's the CEO of Crown Financial Ministries. You're very familiar with that, the largest Christian financial ministry in the world. Um, we're talking with Chuck today about his brand new book, Economic Evidence for God, Uncovering the Invisible Hand that Guides the Economy. Chuck, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thank you, and good morning to you, Carmen. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you with us. So I want to start with a question about um, economics in terms of systems and an economic system. So if you were going to 
um, design an economic system based on what you know from the Bible, what would the core principles of that system be? I think the very first tenet is that economics is controlled by morality. Oftentimes we think of economics as being sort of this neutral platform of just the numbers, the data, uh, inflation, deflation, recessions, all those type of things. But it's actually controlled by our moral behavior. And so if I were designing a system, I would ensure that people had a standard of which to follow that would provide the platform for economic growth. And that's good moral behavior. That's things like not stealing, not lying, not, you know, not cheating, not murdering, all those things that flow from what God gave us on Mount Sinai. So the Ten Commandments might be um, a part of the way you would lead people to grow morally um, as beings, and that that actually then provides the system through which we would share with one another, trade with one another, provide you know, collectively in a in a system. When we talk about systems, I think that's a word that oftentimes most of us aren't thinking about, right? I'm thinking about maybe the economics of my home and my own life. I'm only intruded upon by larger economic systems when something really bad happens that affects me, you know, at the personal or familial level. Talk with us about the kinds of economic systems that different people around the world live in, recognizing that Christians have to live in different kinds of economic systems. Yeah, Carmen, I want to get back to God's economy, but I'll deviate to answer your question just a second because I think it's very important. Uh, There's only four types of economic systems, and those flow from our relationship to who is God. And and however we answer that question, when the Lord said uh, in the first commandment, we're to worship him and him only, the cultures who adhere to that philosophy actually experience freedom and, and economic growth. But the other three models uh, do not experience the same economic benefits. There's a model where uh, a man declares himself to be God. You have a dictator, a despot, a tyrant. You're seeing that in places like Cuba or North Korea. Uh, and that leads to communism and oppression of, of uh, human capital. And it leads to slow economic growth. It's devastating to the economy. The other model is when a government sees themselves as God. That usually leads to socialistic philosophies where the state intervenes and tries to pick winners and losers. uh, And that always uh, impedes economic growth. And then finally, you have a model where uh, cultures worship idols. And those have terrible economic growth, Uh, mysticism, uh, lots of poverty, Uh, It just doesn't work well. And so if you look at the world through one of those four lenses, you start to see the reality of God's principles. And my view is, Carmen, that God gave us a complete economic system. And I write about that in my book, that it involves five steps. We work and God provides. When we work, he expects us to give so that we help others who cannot work. And then we save so that we're prepared for anything that's Uh, the future might hold that we can't foresee. And then we spend, and finally we invest, and that makes the cycle turn. It it helps create jobs. It helps others experience the benefits and the goodness of God. All right. I'm so glad, Chuck, that you got us um, back to the book. Um, So Chuck Bentley is the CEO of Crown Financial Ministries. The brand new book is Economic Evidence for God, Uncovering the Invisible Hand that Guides the Economy. Chuck just outlined for us The five moves that he makes in the book, we work, God provides, we work so that we can give, 
Um, we save in preparation for the future. We spend and we invest. So you start all of that, Chuck, with um, with an interesting story about just burning up money. Can you take us there and talk about maybe um, why you start the conversation with that? Well, I believe that the way we handle money is evidence of what we believe about God, whether it's you or me or anybody anywhere in the world. Money handling or transactions with money is an outward indicator of what we believe. We're showing the world our true belief system. So I happen to be teaching in Taiwan. I had a wonderful experience with our leaders there. They took me to a nice dinner. We uh, were overlooking their beautiful city, and I understood how they created one of the fastest growing economies in the world. They're very bright and creative and industrious people. Uh, They fled communism for the freedom to chart their own course. But when I got out of the restaurant and walked on the sidewalk, I saw these people squatting around these little open fires. And Carmen, I was convinced they were burning money. And so I asked my leader, what in the world are these people doing? I've never seen anybody actually burning money. Well, it turns out they're practicing a, a belief in their culture that their dead relatives need money. And so if they burn it, they will send it to their dead relatives to sort of take care of them after they've died. And this is a practice called Joss paper or hell paper. Uh, and in Taiwan alone, up to $400 million a year of this paper mm. is burned up in fire. That's amazing. And it's such a powerful illustration. So I, I love that you start there because, again, it, it grips our mind to imagine that people would do that. And yet it also got me thinking, wow, what are the ways that um, that I am burning up money in different ways, uh, you know, that I am not being intentional and conscientious, that I'm not thinking about the ways that God would have me use the resources that he's placed uh, under my stewardship. So I want to talk with you about God's economy and and how you have come to see God's hand in the economy. We're talking with Chuck Bentley. He's the CEO of Crown Financial Ministries. The book is Economic Evidence for God. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and we'll be right back. I'm just a Continuing our conversation now with Chuck Bentley. He's the CEO of Crown Financial Ministries. Um, You're well aware of Crown. It's the largest Christian financial ministry in the world. The book we're talking about today is Chuck's new book, Economic Evidence for God, Uncovering the Invisible Hand that Guides the Economy. So, Chuck, let's get down to, you know, maybe some of the basics for you that might not be so basic for all of us. You know, where do you see God's hand in the economy? What's What's the basic inclination here in terms of God and the economy? Well, it started in my own personal experience, Carmen. I was doing things my way. I went to business school. I sort of did a morning devotional in the Wall Street Journal. I read everything that you could about business and making money. And for 20 years, I would have to say I did it the cultural way. Mm. And I thought I was being successful with money. I was not really experiencing a lot of financial pain. But I got into a Bible study that revealed to me that I really didn't know anything about what God said about money. And I was challenged by the fact that 
I actually was loving and serving money without even being aware of it. It had become my idol and it was in control of my life. I had financial goals that I was trying to attain, but I had no spiritual goals. In fact, I had no real spiritual interest or depth. And when I realized that, Carmen, I repented of my idolatry and I committed myself to learn what God said about money, to become an expert on that topic alone and to apply it and see what would happen. And so I went through a complete transformation with the way I thought about money, the way I used money, and in my relationship with the Lord, I began to experience his reality and found his principles to be true. He is the author of principles that benefit us, and when we put him to the test, we get to know him better. And uh, that sent me around the world teaching those things. I've been to uh, every continent of the world except the frozen ones, teaching about God's economy. And I saw that the nations who upheld his principles also experienced his benefit. Uh, and that's what drove me to write this book so that others could experience it personally and then begin to see the world through God's eyes when it comes to the economy. Yeah, I appreciate you share your personal testimony. The book interestingly concludes with this invitational chapter. There's an, there's an explanation in it, but it's really an invitational piece on how to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It occurs to me that none of this makes sense apart from, from that relationship first. Well, you're exactly right, Carmen. We have to know who God is and to establish a baseline for what is truth. And I believe that when he claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, that that is in fact, uh, real, that he is the way and the truth and the life. That's not just a religious sentiment to me. Uh, it is a, a real experience of knowing God and walking with God. And like you, Carmen, I think that is the starting point, to put our faith and trust in the one who claimed that he created everything that we can see or feel or touch, and that he controls all things, including the economy. Mm-hmm. So, Chuck, talk with us about capitalism. That's a word I don't think we've used yet in this conversation. I think it's an important word. Um, capitalism can be godly, but it's not always godly. Talk about the current Western capitalistic system and maybe how it could be more in alignment with God's principles. Well, capitalism is a result of the idea that we're free people, that we have uh, free freedom of thought, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and freedom of economic practices. Uh, and so capitalism was built out of that. However, it was always intended to be tethered in or moored in a, a morally guided society. Even Adam Smith, the great economist who wrote about uh, free markets and laissez-faire economics, believed that people had to be virtuous for capitalism to work. So I prefer to define the systems that I like, and I think God uh, supports, are free markets, where people make their own choices uh, based upon uh, God who set them free, predominantly to be worshipers. You know, that's why I went to Egypt and rescued the Israelites. He said, they need the freedom to worship me. And when we're free to worship as we choose, and we're free to speak out and to have our own opinion, to use our own creativity, then man's production becomes a means to blessing the world. One of my key points in the book is that the doomsayers believe the world is headed to destruction due to overpopulation. 
But it's not true because man is not simply a greedy consumer. Man is also a very prolific producer. And when we're free under a free market to be producers, then the goodness of God is spread and multiplied. And that's when you develop a very, very strong middle class. And the middle class is the backbone of a healthy country. And I believe that's what capitalism is intended to create. But when there's not virtuous people in a capitalistic society, you have a huge divide between the rich and the poor. And that's why people look for alternative systems. You have a a friend in the spirit, for sure, in Kenneth Barnes, uh, Redeeming Capitalism at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. I don't, I don't know if you've ever read Redeeming Capitalism or know Kenneth Barnes, but you guys would sure like each other a lot. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about what you've got going on among some folks in a part of the world that we might consider a place where, you know, people have a hard time flourishing, but you are, you are doing in your life um, what you encourage others to be considering as well. Tell us about the foundations for farming in Zimbabwe. Well, I became friends with two farmers who had everything taken from them under a uh, a tyrannical ruler, a tyrant, a, a dictator in their country. Uh, their property was seized from them without compensation. Their country went through hyperinflation. They lost all of their life savings. And instead of being bitter, they took their skill and decided to help the poor to thrive in their nation. And I became friends with them out of the just being drawn to their incredible character and humility and kindness to all people. And we've developed a system to allow people to learn to flourish using the resources they already have. And Carmen, that's sort of a disruptive view of poverty solutions. Most people think poverty is a resource problem, and we took a different tack. We believe that it was a stewardship problem. And if we could teach people to better manage what they already have, then they could provide for themselves with local resources. And so the farmers learned to multiply their crop without mechanization, without fertilization, and without uh, genetically modified seeds. They use what they already have. Their crop yields will sometimes go from two times greater than the previous year up to four, five, even 10 times greater. And then we also teach them to be good stewards of the resources that that garden is producing. So yes, I do walk that walk and and uh, and I see the results of God's plan implemented at the, the most basic level where people are just on the edge of survival. I've seen his plan work and deliver people out of chronic generational poverty. All right, if you have ever wondered, like how how is God involved in the economy? What does God want the economics of my home to look like? What's God doing globally in terms of macro um, economics? This book is just delightful. Economic Evidence for God, Uncovering the Invisible Hand of God that Guides the Economy. One place it's going to take you that might surprise you is the garden in your backyard. Um, you're going to get a conversation about what tomatoes reveal about God. Um, but it also, you know, takes you into what's going on in the world around us in economies that are different than our own. Um, so I commend it to you. Uh, Chuck Bentley is the author, Economic Evidence for God, Uncovering the Invisible Hand that Guides the Economy. You can also find Chuck and other things that he's up to at Crown Financial Ministries. 
Chuck, what a delight to talk with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Carmen, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. You can find Chuck at crown.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. I do live where the green grass grows, and uh, I I live where the promise of spring is upon us. So this is uh, for the Friday Farm Report. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Faith Radio. Um, You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. And you're listening all over the place. And if you just heard my conversation with Chuck Bentley from Crown Ministries, yes, we do have books to give away. I totally should have mentioned that and didn't. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, it is a drawing for copies of Economic Evidence for God by Chuck Bentley of Crown Ministries. Uh, Again, text the word book to 877-933-2484. All right. On the Friday Farm Report, quickly, three things. Number one, apple blossoms. Yes, the apple trees are in bloom. The fragrance is amazing, totally amazing, um, and the the promise of uh, of a huge harvest. I did learn something this year. Apparently, some apple trees take a break, so we've got a couple of trees that are in um, like a dormant cycle this year, so they have no blossoms on them at all. That is a, a curiosity to me that I did not know about. Um, okay, uh, we had a stuck truck yesterday uh, in his attempt to dump a load of, um, oh, you know, it's like this really rich composted business that's mixed up with uh, all kinds of debris from the woods and chipping branches. Yeah, so we have this like crazy huge mulch pile and Jim was moving a truckload of the mulch pile up to uh, a place where... He had transplanted a number of trees last week, Um, but it rained a lot. And so that giant dump truck, um, literally when he pulled off of our driveway to the place where he was intending to dump um, this rich layer of composted chips, um, it sank like two feet straight into the ground. That was exciting part of the day yesterday. And then we have one really muddy puppy. So um, Millie, also known as the Molinator, took advantage of the fact that with all the rain that we've had, um, the moles have been pressed up towards the surface, but not to the surface. And so she took to digging in the last few days in a way I've never seen a dog dig. And she had her body completely down in these holes. And she is, I mean, like literally from the tip of her nose to the tip of her tail, covered with mud covered with mud. She looks more like a coyote than a dog right now because she's got so much dirt on her. So there you go. Mud Puppy uh, is one of Millie's new names. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.